spiritual traveler through the Bible, please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Since the beginning of May this year, in these podcasts dealing with the book of Revelation, we have, whether we like it or not, have been talking about the wrath of God. In the global church in this age of postmodernism, the wrath of God is not a particularly common or popular subject among preachers. It is not a common subject of discussion for believers in general today. Nevertheless, it should be something that is preached, if we are to be faithful to the Word of God. When most people, including believers, think about the wrath of God, they view the judgment and wrath of God as an Old Testament theme and not a New Testament one. I said in the last podcast, where we discussed the pouring out of the first six bowls of God's wrath, that many Christians today would insist that the Old Testament was written by a God of judgment, and the New Testament was written by a God of grace. But this could not be further from the truth. In John 3 verses 36 we read that, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Only a few verses earlier, in the most well-known part of the entire New Testament, Jesus told Nicodemus that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, here in verse 36 of John 3, Jesus speaks of the wrath of God, remaining on those who reject him. Romans 3 verses 5 talks about the God who inflicts wrath. Colossians 3 verses 6 says very much the same thing. Put to death therefore what is earthly to you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The Apostle Paul went into detail about God's wrath in both of his letters to the Christians in Thessalonica and warned them about the wrath of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is a perfect example of this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who inflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed." Throughout the New Testament, including the very words of Jesus and John the Baptist, God's wrath is always spoken about. John the Baptist declared in Luke 3 verses 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here John is talking about the fire of judgment. So all throughout the New Testament, the wrath and judgment of God is a recurring theme. In the book of Revelation, the judgment and wrath of God take center stage because we are focusing on the end times when God's wrath is finally poured out. Not only is it the wrath of God, but it is the wrath of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Revelation 6 verses 16, it is called the wrath of the Lamb. We have come at last to the final series of judgments from God in chapters 15 and 16. In episode 48 of the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, we discovered what the first six bowls of God's wrath had in store for the earth and its inhabitants. Remember that these bowls are merely a revisiting of the final seven-year period of the earth, and they bring out finer details of the events of that period. These judgments are very intense, and one can get very depressed just reading about them. That is a natural reaction, but God's judgments are never unmerited or unfair. They are the natural result of mankind's fallen state and the wrong decisions and willful choices that each one of us makes. Revelation 16 verses 17 to 21 says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as had never been seen since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. The seventh angel has acted. And I want to point out three aspects that we might have missed. Firstly, the flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake have occurred twice before during the breaking of the seventh seal and the sounding of the seventh trumpet. These are the same sounds and events that always mark the end of God's judgments. Secondly, the magnitude of the earthquake is beyond anything that mankind has ever experienced. I did a bit of research on the subject of earthquakes and learned that the most powerful earthquake ever measured since 1900 when recording began was in Chile in 1960. That earthquake measured 9.5 on the Richter scale. Another earthquake in Alaska in 1964 measured 9.2. The 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake, which caused massive tsunamis and killed over 228,000 people, measured between 9.1 and 9.3 on the Richter scale. This earthquake of revelation will be greater than anything the world has ever known. Thirdly, the great city that is mentioned here is Jerusalem. It is identified for us in Revelation 11 verses 8. This terrible scene in verse 17 affects firstly the atmosphere, or the air. Remember that in Ephesians 2 verses 2, the Apostle Paul calls Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Since Satan's last area of dominion was the air, he is known as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There is a hint here that God is cleansing the domain where Satan last ruled. There are some biblical scholars who interpret this judgment as nuclear warfare, which releases enormous clouds of radiation upon the earth, so that the air is literally poisoned. We saw something similar to this happening during the Chernobyl nuclear disaster in Russia, which poisoned the atmosphere of an area of about 150,000 square kilometers. My own personal conviction is that although God does use man-caused disasters in his judgments, for instance with the four horsemen that are mentioned in the seals of Revelations chapter 6 to 8, the magnitude of these judgments 
convinces me that God will use creation itself and the elements to pour out his judgments and wrath on unrepentant mankind. He will not resort to mankind's own tools of destruction. God's judgment is delivered by the greatest earthquake that the world has ever known. Jerusalem will be split into three parts by the movement of the earth. One of the largest geological fault lines on earth runs just east of Jerusalem, right down the Jordan River Valley. This fault line is part of the Great Rift Valley that runs from eastern Lebanon down into Mozambique in southern Africa. This is the boundary between the African plate to the west and the Arabian plate to the east. This is the great geological fracture that divides the African continent from Asia. There is another reference to this earthquake in Zechariah 14. Here the prophet tells us that the Mount of Olives will split in half and part of it will move to the north and part to the south and the great valley will be created in between. From other scriptures we learn that the layout and the geography of the whole land of Israel will be drastically altered. This earthquake is so massive that islands are noticeably moved. The earthquake also flattens mountains. The entire earth will undergo tremendous topographical changes that include changes to Israel's landscape. Revelation 16 verses 20 says that the mountainous parts of Israel will disappear. At this time also, God judges Babylon the Great. That city always represents the false church or false religion. We will see those judgments play out in the next two chapters. This earthquake is also accompanied by a terrible hailstorm, with hailstones weighing over 130 kilograms falling from the sky. I think that this plague of hail will also be a supernatural event from the heavens. For years there have been newspaper accounts of great chunks of ice weighing as much as 130 kilograms at times that fall on different parts of the earth. As an example, in July 2002, hailstones the size and shape of eggs killed 25 people and injured 200 in a violent thunderstorm in China's central Henan province. This hailstorm lasted less than half an hour but caused widespread damage to houses, vehicles, trees and power supplies. In the past, freak hailstorms have previously hit towns in Nigeria, Australia and Russia, with some reports claiming that the hailstones that fell were the size of footballs. Apparently most of the fatalities were caused by buildings collapsing under the weight of the hail, but some people died after being hit directly by the hail. Many people were treated for head wounds at local hospitals. Here is a terrible hailstorm that shows the awful cataclysms of nature during this time. A time when, according to Jesus, men's hearts will fail them for fear at seeing the things that are coming to pass on the face of the earth. This verse is found in Luke 21 verses 26. But there is the good news. This will be the end of God's judgments. In verse 17 it says that a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. A loud voice signifies that it cannot be ignored or not heard. A loud voice gets everyone's attention. Since the temple is empty, this loud voice must be God himself declaring, It is done. The Greek word for it is done, chachonen, means literally, it is all over, it is all accomplished, it has come. In the following two chapters, John will focus finally on one event out of this scene, the destruction of Babylon the Great. Finally, in chapter 19, Jesus will reveal himself. He will be seen by the entire world, appearing in power and great glory, just as the scriptures have long predicted. We have to ask ourselves, 
What is God trying to say to us throughout the book of Revelation? At the close of this chapter of Revelation, there is a very practical lesson that God wants us to apply to our lives today. The book of Revelation was written for the seven churches in Asia, and these seven churches represent the entire church upon the earth today. So this prophetic vision that was given to us does not only apply for the distant future. It is given to us in order to change our lives right now. There is a reoccurring theme throughout this chapter and that is, judgment does not produce repentance. It cannot and it was never intended to. Three times in verses 9, verses 11 and verses 21, it says that men did not repent but instead cursed God. The Apostle Paul explains this in Romans 2 verses 4. He says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It is not judgment that changes our minds. Men will always get more obstinate and more set upon evil by judgment. It is only unmerited grace and kindness that changes our hearts. Judgment only removes and ends evil. Judgment enables a new beginning to come, but it does not change people's minds. I found a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this very thought. He said, I have known people say, Well, if I were afflicted, I might be converted. If I lay sick, I might be saved. Oh, do not think so. Sickness and sorrow of themselves are no helps to salvation. Pain and poverty are not evangelists. Disease and despair are not apostles. Look at the lost in hell. Suffering has affected no good in them. He that was filthy here is filthy there. He that was unjust in this life is unjust in the life to come. There is nothing in pain and suffering that by their own natural operation will tend to purification. God has always sent hints and warnings of his judgments to us so that we know what such judgments are like. We have seen enough of them to know how bad they will be. It is God's grace that invites us to receive the Lord Jesus who took our place and who gave himself for us. Only this will change us and make us new. It is the grace of God, not his judgment, that has brought us from life into death. It is his grace that allows us into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is grace that changes us and makes us into new creatures. And ultimately, it is grace that teaches us how to live in a world gone mad. This is David Wiles your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 49.